Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. I'm Hilmarie Hutchison and today I'm excited to welcome Rashid Laurent Elmeri to the podcast. Rashid is the general manager for the Middle East at Fever, a company that helps millions of people discover the best experiences in their cities with a mission to democratize access to culture and entertainment in real life. But before I give away any spoilers, let's hear from Rashid himself. Rashid, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Hamari, for having me with you. Before we get into the meat of it, can you first tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your educational and your professional background? Yes, absolutely. I'm currently the general manager of Fever covering the Middle East. We joined Fever around two years ago to launch their effort here in the Middle East. Before that, I had a long career in consulting in the Boston Consulting Group, where I was focused on media, entertainment, and tech across all the Middle East. And before before that long time ago, I used to be an engineer, graduated from what you call the French Conte Call with a telecom engineering background. I come from an engineering background, moved to business, and currently in, in the startup world. Wow, so you have certainly pivoted a few times in your life. What was it that that made you change from your engineering background to business and then to where you are now? What were there specific reasons you made those changes? Yeah, so each step and each change has its different moments of revelation. So I think the first one, as you described, is moving from engineering to business. At the time I was based in Paris, I was working on the tech and technology space, which is fascinating. But I always felt that there was a limitation of how much impact I'll be able to do if I'm not able to drive the business side of it. You can have the greatest innovation in the world. If no customer is looking at it, is no customer is interested to have it, then that innovation, unfortunately, is wasted. And that's was really driving me to find a way to transition to business. So I moved to London from Paris, where I joined the London Business School to do an MBA. And I was looking into ways to really use my understanding and my passion of telecommunication, tech, engineering, to really transfer that to the business side of it. And this is how I ended up joining the Boston Consulting Group and focusing on tech, media, entertainment with them, but from the business and the strategy side. So that was the first transition. And the second one was a little bit more revelation for me because I spent in the Boston Consulting Group more than six years working on some of the most complex and the most challenging tech problems that you could ever dream to achieve. I always thought that I felt that I was not bringing enough to the community around me. I was not delivering enough to the consumers that need to touch those products, those innovation, those tech, those entertainment products. And then there was a sentence that really changed the way I look at things. And I still remember it very well. And that sentence said something around the man who loves walking will go a lot further than the man who loves the destination. And I thought about it and I was like, at this moment, I was always looking at the destination, what I wanted to achieve, but I was not pushing myself to enjoy the journey, to enjoy the walking. At that time, I met with Fever and the mission of Fever really resonated with me because the mission of Fever is to democratize access to entertainment and culture. And I thought we are in the Middle East. As you know, for years and years, Dubai and the Middle East grow so much, but there was this lack of entertainment and culture for everyone. We always struggle to find cool places to go to, cool events, cool entertainment for it, for families, for adults, etc. And I thought if I'm able to contribute even 1%, 
let's see, less than that, 0.1%. To bring in and democratizing entertainment and culture in the Middle East, I would be a lot more fulfilled. So I did one of the biggest jump in my career, moving from the corporate world to the startup world, but mostly for this mission-driven startup, because I felt that I, I can deliver a lot more if I really believe in, in the mission state. That's amazing. The mission is what resonated with you and made you realize that the path that you were on wasn't as fulfilling as it could be if you were doing something that was mission focused. Absolutely. Can you speak to Fever's unique approach to live entertainment and how it sets the company apart from its competitors? Absolutely. So the way we think about entertainment and culture in Fever is we are using data insights to really try to democratize access to everyone. Today around the world, if you look at for years and years, the only technology that was available for the entertainment industry was ticketing, the processing of a ticket, right? Someone will buy, you are interested to go to an event, there will be a technology that allow you to go to that event. And that's it. And this is really difficult then for the entertainment industry to grow, to really generate profit, be accessible to everyone if that's the only technology that existed. So we went in this journey, this mission to try to bring more and more technology and advances to the entertainment industry. So we are able today to provide a full suite of tech from pricing an event to understanding the depth of demand to understanding what will people like to doing feedback at the end. So we created like such a tool and a set of technologies that really, really help promoter, producer, event organizer to deliver on their event. So we became the company, the largest entertainment startup in the world that is able to enable those content creators, those promoters, those producers, those event organizers with data and insight. And that's what allows us to be really uniquely positioned in the entertainment industry. We partner with everyone. We are the enabler of the industry. So we keep extremely good relationship with all of the players in, in every market we enter. Now, Fever has expanded to over 100 cities worldwide, including the Middle East. Can you tell us about the challenges and opportunities of expanding the platform into new regions? This is, this is a very fascinating question. So we went across this journey of growth. It was driven by this ability to say, look, if there is a concept, if there is an event that people really adore somewhere in the world, imagine you have an event, you are art events, okay, in London, and you believe that the world will benefit from it. Can you help that event and that producer to go around the world and scale? So that's how we started the journey of scaling. And what we discovered is a lot of time that there is this hunger for this international cultural event and entertainment event around the world. If you take an example of Teatro Real, which is one of the best, oldest, and the most amazing opera houses in the world based in Madrid. They have this fantastic flamingo team, which is the original dance uh, in Spain, and then it's performed only in Spain. So with Fever, we went through a journey with them to bring them around the world, from New York to Latin America, to Rio de Janeiro, they will be coming to Dubai, they will be going to Australia, and that's what we mean by scaling those type of experiences around the world. So this was a big part of what we did. And then the second part we discovered is that in every market, there is some unique characteristics for the audiences of that market. So if we are able really to understand those characteristics, understand what that country wants, what the audiences in that country want, we can also help build local experiences local events, local entertainment that matches the needs of that local population. And this is how we started adapting 
and creating local events that the local audiences will love. And now we have a combination of both, almost a 50-50 combination of both, that a lot of people, when they come to the platform and discover, they will be able to see the experiences coming from across the world, coming to their cities, so they can discover that. But they also can go and see what's the local experiences, what is the local stories, what is the local events coming in my markets, and how can I discover them? We were able to kind of use both those aspects to create our scaling strategy across the globe. And it's the same way we are doing here in the Middle East. All right, so we've spoken about the technology that you've used. So how do you balance technology and innovation with preserving the authenticity and cultural significance of live entertainment experiences? Let's start by understanding the second part, right? The cultural fit, the heritage of each market need to be preserved. And a lot of time, it's mostly done through either government-supported events, some of the museums, some of the philanthropic events, but it's not a business-driven decision. With that being said, you end up in most of the cities having most of commercial events, and there is a lack of events related to the heritage, culture, community of that local market. What we are doing, we're trying to bring the data and insight to that part, the innovation to that part, saying, okay, if we use the local heritage of that market, what is the right format that people are willing to consume that content? Imagine you have today an artist, a local artist. You will have some of his painting in a museum, but that's it. And that could be one of the most amazing artists in that city, in that country, but the only way to access his art will be going to the classic museum, going through a normal exhibition. With the technology, that could be transformed into an immersive art technology with 3D, with immersive element that allow people to discover the journey of that artist. And that's what we try to bring to the picture is the ability to use technology, use data, to use that cultural heritage and make it in a way that people discover it. And that's the uniqueness of Fever is that we are able always to discuss, to propose, to recommend all of the potential ways that art and entertainment could be discovered. And we have done this with classic art. So if you see our largest exhibition around the world, from Van Gogh to Monet to Frida Kahlo, for example. So we work with the with Mexican companies to bring the art of Frida Kahlo, what we call the Mexican geniuses around the world. And we have one of their largest exhibitions today happening in London. And then being able to bring that artistic part of Frida Kahlo from Mexico, but presented in a way that is so appealing to the Gen Z, to the new generation, so immersive that you have hundreds of thousands of people going through the door really is the way that you're really able to shift the equation when it comes to art and entertainment. Through using data and technology, you're bringing the experience of art and these experiences to larger audiences that might not have been able to experience that before. Exactly. That's what we do. Always partnering up with the right players, with the right owner of that art, of that culture, of that entertainment and helping them really go with it around the world. But absolutely, yes. Can you speak to the importance of community engagement and inclusivity in Fever's work and how the company is promoting these values? For us, it started with our vision statement. When we decided to focus on democratizing access to culture and entertainment. It means that we need to be really focused on the local community we work with. We could not be that global company that comes in and, and then abuse the ticket sell, that take, sell tickets at $1,000. So we needed to be really focused on the local community. So we work with local artists everywhere. So if I take the example here, for example, in the Middle East and in Dubai, with our candlelight music concert series, we focus 
on working mostly with the local artists. These local artists are here from Dubai, from Abu Dhabi, from Charja. We will work with them on like really understanding the candlelight concept, working on training them and making them like be put on a stage. The work that we do always focus on the local community we are working with. We did the same thing when we moved into Southeast Asia, when we moved to Latin America. We always focused on really working with the local artists, with the local entertainment. Unfortunately, you know this very well. It's entertainment industry and the entertainer itself are not corporate workers. They are artists, they are creators, they are very creative people, but the industry does not let them be on a continuous kind of stream of revenues and work. And that's why we said every time we enter to a location, to a country, Let's talk to the community. Let's speak to them. Let's understand who is there. Let's see how we can help them. Let's see how we can really make them go to the stage. And that's why we keep extremely, extremely good relationship with all of the local artists and the community around us. And for us, it's a core value that we live with. And we will always continue being like this, independently of our growth around the world. That's fantastic to be supporting the local community, to give them a platform that others can see the kind of art that they are producing. That's fantastic. What role does creativity play in Fever's work and how does the company encourage and support creative expression? For us, it's always that internal debate, if I may say, between balancing the creativity and the data and insight. To get a successful event, to get a successful experience, you need to be able to balance both. So one side is really understanding what the data is telling you. What is the audience interested in? What type of experiences that someone want to live? How should you present that art and that creativity to the audiences? All of that need to be data-driven. If not, you will build an experience that is not fit for purpose. But on the other side, it's still art. So you still need to listen to the artist. You still need to listen to the content creator. And you need to really let them express themselves. As a company, we consider ourselves the enablers. So the way we look at the creativity to answer your question is we will work with the best creators of the world, the best innovators in the world. And we will tell them, look, we will tell you what the data is telling us. We'll give you the insight and the data and we'll help you build the best experience. But you need to let your creativity talk and you need to be free with your creativity. So we always support the creator. We always support the innovator. But we are the people that will come to the room with the data and insight. And I'll tell you, look, this is the best way to do it. This is the best way to price it. This is the best location to put it. We're able to even tell an artist or tell an exhibition owner which part of a city or a country would your experience be best located in if you want to get more people through the door. So this is the type of insight we will bring to the table. And this is a very rational and a very data-driven exercise. And on the other hand, you link that to the creativity, to the innovation of the content creator and the producer. And they are the one that really like allow their creativity to flourish and really bring to life the most amazing events in the world. You've certainly had much experience with bringing this to life, with expanding, with growing. What advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs, especially those who are interested in using technology to promote accessibility and democratization? My advice will be quite simple. You need to be able to say no to the wrong ideas. I think a lot of time when entrepreneurs start and business owners start, what happens is that they end up getting bombarded by ideas, opportunities, 
thoughts and you are trying to do everything at once because you believe that by creating five or six or seven ideas and events and executing on them, you will end up with the success. The reality is you really need to trust your people. You need to start your gut. You need to really focus on one major idea, one project and say no to the rest. And what I noticed talking to a lot of, of the business owner and the entrepreneurs is that it's one of the hardest things for them to say is to say no. They will always say, yes, maybe let's work on it. Let's think of it. But that takes a lot of your mental load. That will take a lot of your effort and energy. So having that ability to politely say, no, this is not a project I'm willing to consider now. I am focused on this one great idea, that one great business model I need to deliver in today. And then I will open up. Really freeze your mind into this ability to focus and to generate proper success for your idea. So yeah, my simple advice will be learn how to say no politely, but learn how to say no. I love that. I think that's such valuable advice. As you say, it's hard. It's difficult to say no when you think, well, I possibly could stretch today, but then you're probably saying no. Then you have to maybe say no to the right ideas because you've said yes to the wrong ideas. So be smart about it and say no to the wrong ideas right up front. I love that. Excellent advice. You certainly have had an interesting journey, all the turns your life has taken to being in a place where you love what you are doing and you're finding fulfillment in the mission that you are going after now. Now we've come to the segment of our show where I'll ask you some rapid fire questions. So it's our version of a game show. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. What's your definition of success? Happiness. Okay. Who is your inspiration? My father. Okay, and why? My father used to always let me struggle. And I always, when I was young, I always wondered why. Like, he will never help me solve a problem. He will let me solve it myself. And when you are young, it puts a lot of toll in you. I've always wondered why he's not there pushing me. But what I learned with him now looking at it with a step back is that you learn how to solve problems yourself. You learn how to depend on yourself. So I really give a lot of my success to my father and the way he taught me to learn to solve problems myself. Excellent. I think that's very good advice for parents, right? To not do everything for our kids. I love that. What is one thing on your bucket list? Uh, Latin America. I uh, traveled around the world. I've been everywhere. You can imagine more than a hundred countries, but I never been to Latin America and I always find excuses not to go. So that will be my top one thing in my bucket list. Fantastic. And what is one thing you do every day, no matter how busy you are? I never, ever, ever look at my email Slack messages in the first 30 minutes after I wake up. Oh, excellent. I will always take that first 30 minutes for myself. No electronics, no messages. It makes my whole day completely different. I never give that up. Yes, you use those, those first 30 minutes to focus on you. I love that. Very good. Now, we have come to the segment of our show to do our green pull moment. So what green pull advice would you give to your younger self? It's an advice I would give and an advice I will not listen to. I think a lot of time when you speak to people, they will tell you, follow your passion. I think it's one of the most understood moments and advices, and it could really drive you to, to a failure. And it comes to the moments I mentioned earlier in the show when I was leaving the corporate world and, and joining the startups. And for me, that moment was when I heard this sentence that the man who loves walking will go further than the man who loves the destination. And my advice will be to my younger self, 
find something that you are really good at, but that you really like and go with it. Because when someone tells you, just follow your passion, if you're passionate, I'm passionate about writing, but I'm really a bad writer. You really should not go into writing. That's a really bad advice. So that's why you should find something that you are really good at. Like we need to look at your skill set, at what are you really great at. And of that spectrum of things where you are great at, find what really makes you happy, what really makes you successful, what makes you happy to wake up in the morning doing. Trust me, the plan of life and what you should do with your life becomes a lot easier. It took me years and years to arrive to that moment, to that green pill moment. But today, I would love that we'd have someone come to me and told me, look, find that part of your skill set that you are really good at and you really love and just like follow that, forget the rest. I would have loved if someone when I was 18 or 20 would have told me that. Excellent. So it's not just follow your passion, but follow your passion plus whatever your skill set is, something that you get at because it makes everything in life a lot easier. As the saying goes, if you do what you love, then you don't have to work a day in your life. Exactly. But that should not be just like a random thing you love. Just like people like just look at it from that absolute point of view. And I think this is the wrong part. They really need to look at it from the skill set they have. Because when you are really good at what you do, so you get the recognition from the world around you of like how great you are on that. Plus, you're really passionate about it and you love it. Honestly, it's not you don't ever feel you are working. It's just like every day feels like a blessing. Absolutely. I agree 100% with that. Well, that was excellent advice to your younger self. And hopefully for some of our, our listeners, that will be some advice that they will be able to do something with. We, um, I have so enjoyed this discussion with you. I love that you've got a mission-focused drive. Your story is compelling and, and interesting. And I have so enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you so much. But before we say goodbye, could you please tell our listeners where they can find and follow you? And we'll also put this in the show notes. Personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. So Rashid Lawn Telemary, I think there's only one person with this complex name, so it will be easier to find. All of our entertainment and events, if you really are interested to understand what's happening in the UAE in terms of really interesting events, look at uh, the Fever app or the feverapp.com website and you will find some really interesting, both local and international events that you can do over the weekend. Excellent. Thank you again for coming on the show today, Rashid. It's been excellent. And I'll be following your story and seeing where you go next. Thank you so much, Emery. It was really, really a pleasure to be with you today. If you enjoy our conversations, please like and subscribe. See you next Wednesday.